what she said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. This week's show is full of so much information you'll want to know more about. I'm not going to waste any time getting to it. COVID-19 has created a shadow pandemic. There is a surge of Canadian youth and adults suffering from eating disorders and unable to receive necessary treatment. Kim Duffy, co-founder and board chair of the Waterstone Foundation, and Dr. Melissa Lieberman join me to share why eating disorders are on the rise and what you can do to help someone who is dealing with an eating disorder right now. This week on RBC's She's the Boss, we're profiling the unstoppable Alison Tedford. Alison is an Indigenous business consultant, single mom, and author. She is also a woman with a disability who shares about her experiences running a business while managing chronic pain in her new book, Chronic Profit, and is committed to sharing how you can build a business that works for you. Anne Brody has can't-miss entertainment, including the long-anticipated Loki on Disney+, Plus, starring Tom Hiddleston and Owen Wilson. Also, you won't want to miss her take on Achilles' Escape, a crime noir about the urban child soldier in Toronto. Have you been trying to get into the housing market? If you were left feeling a little defeated with the new stress tests for new homeowners that came into effect June 1st, you'll want to hear what Rabina Hamad Hawk has to say about these new changes and how it affects your chances of getting in the housing market. Did you jump on the pandemic puppy trend? If so, you'll want to know about a new service that allows you to access a vet 24-7 from the comfort of your own home. Dr. Sarah Michelle is the medical director at vetster.com and joins me to share this innovative way to care for your pet, plus some much-needed tips for keeping pets cool in the heat this summer. Finally, we end the show on a warm and fuzzy note this week with children's book author Noah Daniel, who shares why she wrote Strum and the Wild Turkeys, which weaves together themes of identity, inclusion, teamwork, and music to create a story about finding your voice through a sense of belonging and the transformational power of music. It's another full week at What She Said with interviews that empower, educate, and entertain. So let's jump in right now on 105.9 The Region. COVID-19 has created a shadow pandemic. That is a surge of Canadian youth and adults suffering from eating disorders and unable to receive necessary treatment. Waterstone Foundation was created seven years ago and provides funding to those who cannot access treatment in the public system and do not have the financial means to access private treatment. The Waterstone Foundation is working towards influencing our government to take eating disorders more seriously so people can be diagnosed and access treatment for eating disorders before it's too late. Joining me now to discuss is Kim Duffy, co-founder and board chair of the Waterstone Foundation, and Dr. Melissa Lieberman, a registered clinical psychologist who is passionate about providing as many young people and their families as possible with early treatment for their eating disorders. Welcome to the show, ladies. Thank you, Candace. Okay, let's jump into why why has COVID-19 created um, a surge in eating disorders? Um, I don't know, I guess you have the, the research or the stats to show that there really has been an increase in hospitalizations for eating disorders and huge, huge wait lists for young people and their families to get services. And I think um, during COVID-19, there's, there's many different reasons that the pandemic has, you know, has maybe influenced this. And, and one of them is there's a lot of um, stress right now for teens. So with the increased stress, there's more social isolation um kids are on their own all the time with with nothing to do there's a lot of boredom and I think a lot of young people are turning to social media and you know I think the information that they are receiving from social media about body image and weight loss and all of these weight loss challenges um, really has had a significant impact um, also the routines are disrupted um, there's lots of pressure on these young people to get out there and exercise 
um, even from the, from the government and public health initiatives. If you guys remember at that peak of lockdown, people were only really allowed to leave their house to do physical activity, right? Or go to work or, you know, for health related reasons. So I think this is, you know, that was one of the only freedoms that was, was left and it made it seem like a really important part of coping and dealing with the pandemic. So we have teams that are maximum stress, huge anxiety, socially isolated, lots of time for social media and are given messages um, to go out there and be fit and exercise. And, and, you know, I think, you know, it might've started off in a very healthy way, but very, very slowly eating disorders are very slippery slope and they can just really get down there and uh, develop the eating disorder very, very quickly. Tell me then, I, I don't want to gender out this too much, but I feel like this is something that affects uh, girls more than, than boys when it comes to eating disorders. Yeah, I'll just, I'll just comment is they say it's 10% of males are affected. And I would say you're seeing an increase in males, transgender, every, you know, being affected by eating disorders and even probably more so now than ever. I'm sure there's a lot of parents listening to this who are thinking like my child does my child, my child is showing, you know, uh, displaying uh, eating disorder, uh, you know, maybe not healthy attitudes. They, they want help. They want to seek help, but they don't know where to start. You know, where do parents even begin when this, this becomes an issue in their home? Um, well, one, one resource that, um, you know, Waterstone foundation, we help provide uh, financial aid for individuals trying to access uh, private therapy. Um, the public system, Sick Kids Hospital, North York General, um, another resource which uh, has a great list is the NETIC Association. Um, and NETIC is more of a National Eating Disorder Information Center. And they also lead to um, a number of resources. Eating disorders have the highest mortality rate of any mental illness. And yet it's something that the government is not taking seriously enough. Why is that? You know, I, I honestly don't know why the government has not uh, looked at eating disorders. We eating disorders have been sort of looked at the poor cousin to mental uh, mental illness. Um, it is a mental illness, um, but has never received the I want to say the recognition, but or the awareness of how serious it is. Um, the number of individuals that actually die by suicide with eating disorders is very, very high. You know, it's actually between the ages of 17 and 24 years of age is the is is a critical highest number of individuals that um, pass away from an eating disorder at that time. Yeah, we need to do more. And actually, Waterstone has initiate, initiate, initiated a letter campaign to MPPs to raise awareness that we need, the government needs to do more, provide funding, provide resources, recognize eating disorders as a serious mental health illness and more needs to be done. Or most people will run to their family doctor at the first sign of, of, of an issue. Uh, Dr. Lieberman, are family doctors prepared to deal with this uh, coming into their office? Are they trained? I mean, I would recommend for parents if they are concerned about their their children or their teens that they do start by a, a visit or an appointment with their family doctor because again it's a very slippery slope and you know once you start to see some small symptoms it can very quickly go into an eating disorder which is very dangerous. I think the um, there's a lot of physicians in the community that don't have the knowledge that they need that aren't trained in the way they need to be trained to deal with young people with eating disorders and I think that's definitely a need. Um, you know, there's some out there and, and you know, we, we know who the, those, those doctors are, but a lot of young, or not young doctors, a lot of doctors do not want to take on eating disorder patients because it is uh, a very difficult population to work with. And, you know, I think part of it might be fear or just not having the right knowledge, but we know that if we can get, um, if young people with eating disorders get treatment quickly and they can just put all of the resources into getting well, in the first you know, month to two months, they'll have a much, much better chance of a full recovery. And that's why it's such a shame right now that the wait lists are so long because, mm -hmm. and that's why I think there's an increase in the hospital admissions because they, they're waiting for so long now that you know, by the time treatment comes or if it doesn't, if it comes at all, they need to be hospitalized because it can go really, really a downhill very, very quickly. 
the Waterstone Foundation has been around for seven years. At what point in this pandemic did you realize that, you know, there was the mass, when there was a surge in demand for your services? Was it, was it a couple of months or was it a little bit further down the road? Pretty quickly, um, we saw a huge increase. Um, so we provide financial aid, as I had mentioned, and we're, we saw a huge uptick in the number of individuals trying to access um, one, the public system, but then trying to access, you know, financial aid. And I mean, it was it was very quick because a lot of the programs when COVID hit, their programs had to be shut down or severely reduced, so they had no place to go. Let's talk about social media for a second then, because I feel this is such a huge topic. Kids are at home. They're isolated. Their access to the outside world is through social media. Uh, I'm on TikTok myself. And this is a world of filters and uh, highlight reels. How do you educate parents and and those who suffer from eating disorders on, on, on I guess, the, the downside of social media? That's a tough one. I, I, I'm going to pass that to Melissa and what you tell the families that come in. I mean, it's, it's hard because we're, I mean, we're bombarded by social media. And this is such a, this is such a tough one right now because I realize as parents, we want to jump in and take away their social media, but that that is a double-edged sword because now you're isolating them from how they communicate, how they learn to communicate. And at the same time, you know, in your head, it's doing damage. Yeah. So I think it puts parents in a bad, tough situation. I just think parents have to be aware of what their children and young and youth are sort of up to and doing and, and um, on social media. Uh, there's, there's teens and kids now that are spending hours and hours and hours on social media. Really, one is because of boredom and, you know, otherwise to communicate. Um, but I think parents have to be really updated and be involved in what what sites their kids are looking at and what they're doing and really just educate their children as best possible, as best as they can on, you know, what's legitimate, what's not legitimate. Um, I'm hoping the schools are doing some of that as well, but it's, it's really, really hard because there's these influencers that young people follow um, and a lot of these influencers, you know, are dieting, are very much into body weight, shape. And I think, again, the messages that they're getting from these influencers and just things that they're following on, on Instagram and TikTok um, can be really detrimental. And, you know, I think if they're educated properly, it might help. Um, but you have to be really, really aware of the kids that might easily be influenced by these. Yeah, I think critical media is something that, you know, being critical of media needs to be taught in the schools at an early age, uh, particularly now, because these algorithms are so advanced that they know that these kids are searching for uh, things on weight loss, and it just keeps feeding them the mm-hmm. same content in a loop. And and also, of course, we know that these social media apps are addictive in and of themselves. So now you're dealing with two problems. Uh, you know, they're getting the same feed all the time and they're addicted to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they also have to realize the filters that are created as well is that the, some of those images are not, are definitely not true images. Right. Well, I'm thankful that you are around to help parents and, and youth navigate this very, very tough road. Um, if people want to connect with you, if they want to find out more, how can they do that? Uh, for Waterstone Foundation, our website is www.waterstonefoundation.ca. Okay. And you have social channels? Uh, we are on Instagram. Um, yeah. And that's about it. We're not, and Facebook. Okay. Well, that might be a nice little break in the social feed. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much for joining me today, ladies. This was great. Okay. Thank you, Candice. Thank you. Have a story for what she said? Email us at 1059theregion.com. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 1059 The Region. Joining me now for RBC, She's the Boss, is Allison Tedford. Allison is an Indigenous business consultant, single mom, and author based out of Abbotsford, B.C., 
She is a woman with a disability who shares about her experiences running a business while managing chronic pain in her new book, Chronic Profit, and is committed to sharing how you can build a business that works for you. Welcome to the show, Allison. Thanks so much for having me, Candice. I think what I love most about you, uh, because I do know you in the digital space as well, is that you are not a gatekeeper of information. You are more than happy to share all of your knowledge with people. Yeah, I think it's really important. And I mean, when you're struggling with a chronic condition, being able to get advice from other people is really helpful. And that you give back, though, as well, um, you know, um, to people. You're, you're very receptive to people asking you questions, which I love. So what prompted you to put all of this into a book for somebody? Well, I thought that if I was having a hard time, that probably other people were having a hard time too. And I couldn't really find any resources um, that really fully met my needs. And I really felt like there was a better way to get everything together. Um, So I thought I would do it myself. So let's talk about how you make your living then. You make it in the digital space doing various uh, contract jobs, correct? Yes. Yes. I do um, some marketing work and I do some diversity consulting work. I freelance write and um, I have done some books uh, on a work for hire basis this year also. All of this that you do, you do from home, which allows you to set your own schedule, correct? Yes. Yeah. That's one of the best things about it. All right. So if somebody's listening at home and they want to get involved in this space, maybe they want to transition out of, of, of a full-time job into something that they can work from home, or they're currently at home looking how they can maybe keep that going because of the pandemic. Uh, what would be some tips you would give them? Um, I'd suggest starting small, find things that you know how to do, transferable skills that people might be able to need or that might people might need and find ways to be helpful. Ask people in your circle if they need help with anything and just start getting some work for yourself. It's really a lot about networking. I was fully booked before I had a website or a Facebook page. So you don't have to wait until you have a logo or a website or you look fancy before you can get working. You can just start serving people that you know. I love that you say that because I think a lot of people think that everything needs to be perfectly in place before they start. Uh, Mm. Would you agree it's best to just start and then? Yeah, get to work, right? You can build the online presence that you want. I mean, if you have lots of runway and you want to do it that way, then all the power to you. But don't let that stop you that things aren't perfect yet because it's going to evolve. How you want to show up in your space is going to evolve. What you want to do and who you want to do it for is something that you're going to learn over time. So it's almost better to figure out what you want to do before you invest a ton of time in building something that supports something that you might even not want to do particularly in that way. So it's okay to take your time. All right. So living with chronic pain is is difficult. How do you find motivation or how do you keep going when you have multiple commitments uh, in place and then perhaps you're dealing with, uh, you know, a flare up of pain or you're not able to work that day? How do you manage that? Um, I try to schedule things out well in advance and be really communicative with my people. I bring in help where I need to. Um, I pace myself and I don't try to fit everything into like a nine to five box. If I'm up at four o'clock in the morning and feeling great, then that's just a great time to write a blog post. Um, Or if I'm up at night and can't sleep, but could be productive, that's another time. So I try not to limit myself to the way that other people operate and just do what works for me in the moment. Do you help people find systems then, uh, programs, or even develop their own that work for them? That's definitely something that I talk about in the book in terms of looking at how to develop standard operating procedures, how to create systems, and how to um, better document your processes so that you can delegate as needed. And so that you don't have to think about things when you're in the middle of a flare, you have a process, you just follow your instructions that you made because you're the expert and just execute that way without having to expend a lot of mental energy trying to problem solve in the moment. When did your book launch? It launched in late April, April 27th was its birthday. And how is the reception for it? 
Um, so far, it's been really great. I got a really amazing message from somebody on Twitter that they were just so excited that the book existed. And I mean, she hasn't even read it yet. So she was pretty stoked. And um, I think last time I looked, it was number 17 in chronic pain, um, which is pretty good, I think. That's incredible. Allison, thank you so much for joining me. I want people to be able to find this book. Uh, so where can they find the book and where can they connect with you if they want to work with you for digital marketing? Um, you can find my website at alisontedford.com and um, the book is available on Chapters Indigo, on Amazon, Target, Walmart, um, basically anywhere books are sold, you can ask them to bring it in and it's available. Support your local independent bookstore and pop by and ask them to bring it in. Wonderful. Thank you, Allison, for joining me today. And thank you to our sponsor, RBC. RBC is here to support you through digital first solutions, advice and services that go beyond banking to help realize your true potential because owning a small business takes something special. That's why RBC is behind you every step of the way. Visit rbc.com backslash business. your friend If we're not staying inside because of COVID, the heat is currently driving us inside to escape oh. it. <laughs> and Brody is joining me, thankfully, to give us some new releases to keep us busy as we continue this time indoors. Oh, Hi, Anne. So hot. Uh, I just want to say that the huge TIFF hit by Toronto filmmaker Charles Officer, Achilles Escape, has won awards everywhere, and it's finally available on TVOD. And it's a crime noir about urban uh, urban child soldier in Toronto based on facts. There's a couple of gangs from Jamaica who moved up, and I think they've been uh, operational for 30 or 40 years, and it's actually based on their um, lifestyle. So Officer traces uh, the actual real-life gang wars in a fictional setting um, about a young fellow who grows up in a really, really bad situation in an urban housing development in Toronto. Um, he becomes a gangster at a very young age, and his father's abusive, blah, 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 the whole thing. It's, but it's done so poetically. Anyway, he grows up. He, he tries to get out of it. He finds a boy who is just on the verge of getting into gangsterism and tries to save him. It's a, the most wonderful film. It's, it sounds violent, but it's poetic. It's powerfully drawn and it has incredible emotional power. Okay. So yeah, yeah, it's a good one. Sounds good. Listen, I'm, I gotta tell you, Flack is yeah. something that I have seen uh, previews for a lot. And I keep meaning to watch it. And now it's already on season two. It's so already on season two. And that is so fast. It was just a few months ago we got season one. So it's on Amazon Prime Video. Anna Paquin plays this um, uh, PR uh, woman who is given the most difficult cases to cover up for her celebrity clients. There, there's a, you know, hotter than hot white couple who has a baby and the baby's black, so that she makes up a story about artificial insemination. Um, there's a politician found in, in a whorehouse, so they make up something about that. She just always manages to get these people out of their jams. It's very funny, very satirical, very witty, but she can't save herself. She she winds up in, in really unfortunate romantic and professional situations she can't do it she saves all her energy for the clients so that's that's what the problem is but it's such a fun series and martha plimpton and sam neal are guest starring this season so and they're terrific so i highly recommend it for someone who wants a good laugh a bit of satire and good old british humor okay excellent uh listen i mean we we obviously cannot um, <laughs> escape the obvious this week, and that is that Loki is out Loki. this week on Disney Plus. Oh yeah, Tom Hiddleston, the god of mischief. <laughs> He's revealed as as like less 
scary, less all-powerful than he seemed to be earlier. He is the enemy of the Avengers and a real thorn in everybody's side. Well, he's arrested for, for interrupting the time flow. That is, he's, he's done crimes that take us from the path that's been set for us to find a better life. So he's arrested by the time police and he's so funny. He's, he, he's totally out of, out of his element. He keeps saying, I'm smart, I'm powerful. And he's not, he's under arrest. <laughs> and Owen Wilson is his uh, um, main detective investigating the case. Uh, and they sit around, they argue philosophy and uh, each other's character. And it's fun. It's like a chess game in a way. You know, um, Owen Wilson doesn't have a lot of range, it seems, in, in his movies. He seems no. to have one character, but it works in Loki. It's very funny to see his laid back sort of, you know, very chill attitude playing yeah. off of Tom Hiddleston. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing about the series is, and about these Marvel series is, um, the comic book universe is, is kind of endless and unstoppable, and it has these rules, so many rules, so many traditions, and but it can also change them on a dime. So you're always peaked. Your interest is always peaked. And I think that's part of the great thing. I did not know that Loki's last name was Locuson, which is kind of hilarious in itself. So <laughs> I love it. I can't wait to watch it. I love Tom Hiddleston. What else do you have for us this weekend? Oh, wonderful. Uh, Chasing Wonders about a boy who was raised on a vineyard in Australia who moves to Spain um, to find out more about his family. It's a coming of age story. It's so poetic. It reminds me of Nomadland in parts. Um, uh, and James Edwards almost uh, stars as his grandfather. It's really complex emotionally. And it was shot over five years. So we meet the character as a 12-year-old and then he's, he's uh, traveling in Europe by himself. So it's just fascinating. And also I want to mention Miss Fisher's Modern Murder Mysteries. I don't know whether you saw Miss Fisher's Murder Mysteries from Acorn, which was set in the 20s in Australia, also in Australia. But this is a spinoff set in the 60s, and it is so to the time. The clothing, the ranch-style houses with the mid-century furniture. There's a wife-swapping party in one of these homes, and someone winds up dead. So Miss Fisher comes in with her boyfriend, who happens to be a detective. She is so on top of things. She, she seems to be much more talented. Her name is Peregrine than he is. So and then while they're there, they discover a body baked in the sauna and there's another body with him. So it's just so off the wall and so funny, you know, murder seen in a funny manner. They're always entertaining and not too horrific. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Excellent. All right. Um, so for all of these and more, you have a full list at what she said, talk.com. You're going to be back next week to help us escape the heat again. Uh, oh. Thank you for joining me today, Anne. All righty. See you soon. I don't think I could Stick around. More What She Said with Candace Sampson coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. The dream of owning a home feels further and further out of reach for many as the housing market refuses to cool off, and a new mortgage stress test introduced in Canada June 1st might make it feel like the dream could be dead altogether. Rabina Hamad Haq is joining me today to break it all down for us. A personal finance expert, Rabina's career spans three continents with appearances on TV, radio, print, and online. And when I lamented on Twitter that this felt a little like another hit for the little guy, Rubina stepped right up and said, I have thoughts to share on this. Welcome <laughs> to the show, Rubina. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. Honestly, I'm going to totally be completely transparent. I was feeling a little beaten down because I am in the market for a house soon. And I thought, what else is going to be added to this? So 
what is the stress test? Maybe let's just start with that. What is this stress test? So the stress test is not new. It uh, was brought in back in 2018 and it was brought in for the same reason uh, now that it's getting stricter was to cool the housing market because home prices, as you know, for the last 10 years, especially in places like Vancouver and Toronto, double digit gains. So more than 10% year over year. And so that's really causing a lot of problems, especially for first time home buyers. So the stress test was brought in as a way to make sure that people who are borrowing money were not borrowing beyond their limits, but you have to show that you could pay that mortgage 400, 500, whatever thousand dollars you get at the higher rate, which is the stress test, the qualifying rate. And right, uh, right now it's 5.25% or your contract rate, which is what the bank gives you plus two percentage points prior to June 1st, it was 4.79%. So it's become harder just from a qualifying perspective to borrow the same money that you could borrow uh, just a couple of days ago. So that has a lot of people at home scratching their head thinking, okay, when am I going to get into the housing market here? The, the interest rates are at an all-time low. So people are considering that thinking, well, this is the time. Or are they better to wait and save their money to see if this housing market is going to crash? I mean, it creates that sense of desperation, right? Uh, you feel you have to get in now. Even though the price, the price of homes is so high, you feel you have to get in because the interest rates are so low. Yeah. So this is the issue with interest rates being so low is that home buyers, regardless of whether you're a first time home buyer or you're selling a home and getting into your second or third home, are willing to just bid more and more and more for that same house. And we know during the pandemic, there's been a huge push for people to go out to uh, the suburbs, because all of a sudden, you know, a condo in the city doesn't feel as attractive when everything is shut down and there's nowhere you can actually hang out. But then a suburban home looks really attractive with a backyard and maybe a pool, maybe some space for your dog or kids and, you know, some just some elbow room when you're working from home. And what's been happening is that, uh, you know, first time home buyers, for example, are competing with people who have a home to sell. And so they have a little bit more wiggle room, a lot more wiggle room when it comes to how much they can bid on a home. And in some cases, you know, a house one month will sell for a million on that street. And then a very comparable house the next month will sell for a million point one. All of a sudden, home prices are up 10% in one month. I mean, that just seems insane. And it is, I mean, that's the best way to describe this market. It's completely red hot. It's completely out of control. And, you know, Canada has always had a very conservative view when it comes to how we manage uh, debt and especially mortgage debt. And the mortgage stress test is just one of those ways that it helps uh, whether you're a first-time home buyer or you know buying your third property or whatever, it helps you sort of put into perspective how much you can afford if interest rates were to rise. Because one thing we know for sure is that where interest rates are now, they're definitely going to rise in the future. So it's more about protecting people from their future self. It's not necessarily about keeping people out of the market. This probably is going to cool the market a little bit. So there may be uh, you know, not a crash, but definitely a little bit of a slowdown uh, in, the, in, in, in the months to come as people can borrow less money to buy. Do you have any advice for first time home homeowners right now who are really feeling uh, the stress of all of this? So uh, if you had a mortgage pre-approval before June 1st, your bank could still honor that. So uh, these rules that were brought in June 1st, it's up to your lender whether they want to honor that, that old qualifying rate. They probably will because they knew these rules were coming. It's not like it was some sort of surprise. So they would have given you that pre-approval based on that understanding. Uh, the other thing is that it doesn't actually affect your budget. You still are going to pay those ultra low interest rates when you get into that house. Um, and you don't have to pay your mortgage as if it's 5.25%. You can still pay whatever it is that you negotiate. And so really use that tool because when you're a first time home buyer, especially, you're probably taking on one of the biggest mortgages of your life and the bank loves mortgage customers. And so use that power to shop around to make sure you're getting the best rate, uh, make sure you're getting the best term as well, too. So that, you know, if you have the power in the in the future to put more money down, make sure that you have the ability to do that without having any penalty and pay off any sort of smaller debts that you have. So if you've got some credit card debt, pay that off. If you still owe money to a utility, pay that off, uh, because these things show up on your credit score and actually really work against you when you're trying to get a mortgage. So the first advice I got when I got one from 
my first mortgages, get all your credit cards at zero because that immediately shows um, that you have more room to borrow. Because when they look at your credit card balance, even if it's two, three thousand dollars, they look at it as if you're going to take many, many months to pay it off, not that you're going to pay the balance off every month. So those things you can do to kind of just improve your situation, not necessarily get you the house of your dreams, but definitely improve your road to, to, to becoming a homeowner. All right. I want people to be able to follow along with you and connect with you because I know you're always sharing great information. Uh, where can they do that? So the best place is Twitter, which is how we got connected. Um, so my Twitter handle is Rubina Ahmed Haq, R-U-B-I-N-A-A-H-M-E-D-H-A-Q. Um, and you can follow me that way. You can go to my website, which is the same name, uh, .ca or .com. Um, and I'm always willing to like have a conversation. You know, the reason you would put something up is saying that it's really hurting the little guy. I actually think it's a really good financial health check for those people who maybe, especially in the market for the first time and feeling very de just defeated by what's been happening. And I totally get that. But the last thing you want to do is get into a home that in five years becomes completely unaffordable because more mortgage rates have gone up. All right. Excellent advice. Thank you so much for joining me today, Rabina. Thanks for having me. Did you add a new member to your family with a pet during the pandemic? Adoption centers and breeders saw a massive surge in demand, and pandemic pets have become a lovable part of the journey through COVID for many. Pets require care, though, and with restricted access to tr traditional vets, a new model of care has started. Dr. Sarah Michelle is a licensed practicing veterinarian and the medical director at Vetster, which makes it simple to connect with a veterinarian at any time convenient to the pet owner, as long as there is a Wi-Fi connection. She joins me today to discuss some tips for keeping pets cool in this heat and to share some details about Vetster. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thank you, Candice. It's great to be here. I uh, this is one of those ideas that I was, I read it, it and I'm in my email and I thought, oh gosh, I wish I had thought of this. It's brilliant, brilliant. So let's, before we get to keeping pets cool, what is Vetster? So Vetster is uh, essentially your online access to vet qualified veterinarians for veterinary advice, um, support, uh, triaging in times of emergencies, um, and also in Ontario and many places across Canada, um, the veterinarians who are on our platform uh, can actually speak to a diagnosis and potentially provide prescriptions for your pets all through a virtual consult. So I know from talking to you earlier that this idea was not born out of the pandemic, but was actually thought about prior to, which is brilliant timing, <laughs> not great timing with the pandemic, but brilliant timing. Yeah. And all I could think about was how many times my dog has got sick in the middle of the night and all the vets are closed. Great point. And uh, as, as you said, you know, Vetster was not a response to COVID, um, but we are really glad that we've been able to be here and to help support pet owners like yourselves um, and 30, 35% of Canadian households that welcomed new pets during the pandemic um, and to support the veterinary industry, because as you mentioned in your opening, you know, it, the industry is has been challenged with COVID just like so many industries and access to care in a traditional sense is not as easy as it once was. Um, and so it's, um, you know, it was an unfortunate timing, but, uh, and, and like you referenced, you know, pets don't really acknowledge sort of the working hours of a traditional clinic and nine times out of 10, uh, get into things, particularly puppies, uh, and kittens, um, <laughs> you know, at the most inconvenient times. And that's, what's really neat and unique about our platform, um, is that we have, you know, veterinarians available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, um, you know, meeting our pet owners where they are when they need us. And uh, 
So it's, it's, yeah, we're, it's a, a new model and, and, and we've really, you know, nothing but positive sort of feedback from pet owners, um, really enjoying, you know, the access to a real doctor at the end of the Dr. Google search. Absolutely. So this is like telemedicine for your pets. I love it. Um, Let's talk about the heat right now, though, because it it is oppressive here in Ontario. We're heading into what's going to be a scorching summer, I think, across the country. And our pets need to be protected. It's really important. What are your best tips tips for keeping pets, um, giving them relief during the heat? Great question. And I think you're right. I think it's going to be a hot summer. And those always make me as a veterinarian nervous. Um, so I think some of the most important things um, are to be mindful of your pet's exercise level and tolerance. And those of us, you know, staying at home, um, maybe working from home, we still have sort of weekend warrior syndrome at times. And so, you know, being really cognizant that if your pet is luxurating you know with you at home while you're working on the couch for eight hours a day that they're not gonna have the stamina particularly in the heat and humidity to go out and and run 5k on a weekend Um, so just being really aware of your pet's fitness level along with your own um, because it can be an easy way to to stress a pet if we overdo it um, without a buildup. Um, and and when outside, you know, being aware of access to shade and rest and water, always, you know, free access to water. And I think the the other thing that I'm, you know, always really concerned about and aware of is dogs, pets, but dogs primarily in cars in the heat. It's a no-no. You know, it's it's so easy. You know, nowadays. It, especially with the pandemic even more, our pets are going everywhere with us all the time. You know, we scoop them up if they're small, uh, we put them into the car when we run an errand, which is fine when it's, you know, temperate. And even if it's cool, they're usually fine in a warm car, not freezing, Um, but it takes just a few moments in a hot car for a dog to get in serious trouble. Um, And we we don't wanna see that happen. Yeah, I, th- this is something I've my dog Dolly Potton, I I've taken her everywhere with me since I've got her. And now, uh, obviously, I can't take her in the car with me anymore. It's just too hot. So I've started to have to leave her behind, which is now we need to address separation anxiety, which is another interview we're going to have to do with you, because I really think this is going to be the biggest struggle for people who who adopted a pandemic pet is separation uh, when life returns to normal. So we will have you back, but thank you so much for joining me today. I think your platform is incredible. Just love this idea. If uh, people want to find out more about you, where can they go? So it's it's super easy. Vetster, B-E-T-S-T-R.com. And uh, the platform is really user-friendly. You can search by uh, veterinarian name. If you have a veterinarian to see if they're on our platform, you can search by your locale um, and the date and time that you're looking to meet with a veterinarian. Uh, and it's super user-friendly. Uh, so we'd love to see you there. Come on, check us out and uh, create a platform or create a profile on our platform, become part of our network. And we share lots of great information just like this interview. Um, and we, you know, I I think you'll find it really pleasantly, surprisingly easy. All right. Amazing. Sarah, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. The impact books have on children should never be underestimated. I'm sure many right now could name a favorite book from their childhood without giving it a second thought. Noah Daniel is a classroom teacher, consultant, podcaster, TEDx and keynote speaker, and writer. She joins me today to share details about her latest children's book called Strum and the Wild Turkeys, which weaves together themes of identity, inclusion, teamwork, and music to create a story about finding your voice through a sense of belonging and the transformational power of music. Welcome to the show, Noah. 
Thank you so much for having me, Candice. I love the whole premise of this book. So how did you come up with it? Well, I actually didn't come up with it. Somebody came to me, Avi and Barry Glenna own um, a ranch in the Kawarthas, and this happened on their ranch. They had a peacock who escaped its enclosure and they thought, oh goodness, what, what about our peacock? And for so long thought the worst. And then a year later found it on a trail cam looking like it was leading a pack of wild turkeys. And they said, Noah, you've got to write this book. So I had to find the story and it was amazing when music became the common thread. I love that. And also because it's a children's book, obviously you have to have the illustrations that go with it. How did you find your illustrator? Well, that was one of the most special parts is we actually put out a call for illustrators and the only one we agreed on was Alana and her vibrant style was just the tip of the iceberg of this incredible partnership that evolved and she really collaborated with me to understand the characters who I spent a lot of time thinking about and she brought them alive in really special ways and a lot of kids before they even read the text can really connect to the characters just from her illustrations. Tell me how then music sort of became the, the common theme throughout. Well, I started with research and I was like, well, what can peacocks and turkeys possibly have in common besides being birds? So then I learned about peacocks not just having vocalizations, but they actually made sounds with their plume and their tail feather would hold it up and help them like do a little dance. And I was like, okay, well, that's interesting. And then I went to research wild turkeys and they made sounds that are called cut, gobble, kiki and yelp. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, that's a band. And the idea started to evolve. But then I had to think, well, what, what would the problem be? And I started to wonder about a peacock with an imperfect plume and how that, that peacock would be received. And I knew it had to be male because they're the ones with the ornate colors. And so Strum started to evolve. And then when I decided that he was going to wear his plume across his chest kind of in shame and then strum it like a guitar, all of a sudden the evolution of the story really came to me and that was going to be key because one of the things that's interesting is when you when you change the way you look at things the things you look at change and Dr. Wayne Dyer had said that and I really think nothing changes about Strum except for how he perceives himself because of the people he surrounds himself with and so his you know imperfection becomes a source of pride and a source of you know companionship with the band. And this is such a wonderful uh, story for children to be reading, you know, because obviously it translates to everything they're going to do and see in their lives and their interactions, right? Definitely. And it's the kind of book that grows with a family because the first time you read it, the illustrations are incredible. The language is, you know, very sophisticated at times for a little child. But as a parent of three daughters, when you read the same book like 30, 40, 50, 100 times, you're, you really are happy when a book has layers and when it can take you on lots of journeys. But one of the things I'm most excited about the book is what you can do with the book. And just like you said, having those conversations, there are a lot of different catalysts about what it means to be yourself what it means to find your voice, what belonging really is, and how you surround yourself with people who can build you up. And that that's a choice that you have in life and something you can direct. So I think there's a lot for families in the book. And you also have a give back component to this book as well, right? Yeah, well, the, originally we were going to self-publish and I really wanted it in education. So I was lucky that an educational publisher took it on. But Avi and Barry from the beginning didn't want to make a profit on the book. They really wanted a portion of the proceeds to go somewhere. And when I found First Book, which is what I told my students to do as a gift for me at the end of the year is to actually donate to this wonderful organization. They get new books in the hands of children who are underserved and underprivileged communities. And I'm looking forward to partnering with them and to being able to not just donate money, but donate time because literacy is the gateway to wonderful things. And it's, a, it's an incredible leveler. So I'm, I'm really excited about this partnership with First Book Canada. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Education is, is the beginning of everything. It's so important. So I love that you're giving back to that organization. So if people want to find Strum and the Wild Turkeys, where can they find your book? Well, they can find it at Amazon and at Indigo. They can also go to our website, strumandthewildturkeys.com and get connected to all sorts of activities, including some cool merch, because when you join the band, you want the t-shirt. So um, you can also find me at I am Noah Daniel both on Instagram and on Twitter. And our handle is at Strum and TWT. Wonderful. And do you have a new book coming out soon? <laughs> well, I, I have written the second copy for this. I think this is a series actually. So 
it's probably going to be Starving the Wild Turkeys Get Inspired, but I'll, I'll let you know when it's time. Wonderful. You'll, I, I, you know, they say, let us know when the album drops. Let us know when the book drops. Thank you. I love that you made that connection. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for joining me today, Noah. Thank you. That's it for What She Said for this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com. And be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify to re-listen to this episode and find full details for all of today's guests. I'll be back next week with more What She Said on 105.9 The Region. For you, I guess you moved on really easily. Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059theregion.com. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all had. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.